Hi, it's Leon Dolan, and my new book, The Marriage Sabbatical, is out now and available everywhere. People Magazine chose it as an April pick of the month, one of the best this week, a hopeful take on commitment, they said, and an innovative story about marriage. Mmm, sounds juicy. The Marriage Sabbatical, out now, available everywhere. Hi, this is Julie. This is Liz. This is Sheila. This is Monica. This is Leanne. We are the Satellite Sisters. You are listening to Satellite Sisters To Go. We are the Satellite Sisters. Thanks for joining us today on our podcast of Tuesday, September 30th, 2014. I'm Leanne Dolan in Pasadena, California. I am joined by my sister Julie Dolan in Dallas, Texas. But of course, we want to wish our sister Sheila Dolan a happy birthday today. It's her birthday. Yes, happy birthday, Sheila. I think she's going to listen to the podcast. No, she won't listen to the podcast. Nope, nope. Or, you know, or participate on the Facebook page or anything. But um, I'm sure everyone in the Satellite Sisterhood is wishing her a happy day. So uh, hopefully I'll see her after work today because I have some cards to hand off. Um, We have a full show, though, Julie. You know, they just keep coming. The stories just keep coming. We have a couple stories from the world of academics about uh-huh. book book banning and unusual uh, admissions policy now at a college. Um, we are, of course, going to talk about uh, a few things that are happening all over the world. Julie has um, an international news roundup bite size. Is that what you'd say? <laughs> yes. Yes, just... I, I have right-sized it for Tuesday, Leon. Okay. You know, we, we just like to keep it sort of... Keep it light on Tuesday, so uh, we're not going to be going into depth. There will be no follow-up questions on any of these topics, but there are things that um, I do think we need to talk about. Yes. The news tidbits. And then... um... Remember when they used to, like, you used to go and order, like, beef tidbits? Wasn't that a menu item? Yes, it was, Leanne. It was delicious. <laughs> it was and delicious. I would still enjoy that, you know, because sometimes I don't want a big steak. No. And I think that's the, really how we feel on Tuesday, right? We don't want the big steak. We no. want tidbits. Okay. Uh, I, Julie, I have some plastic surgery that I know you and I will not be getting. It's apparently the new kind of plastic surgery, and I, I think we're safe from it. And then, of course, we're going to talk about the mid-season finale of Outlander with Sister Sassnach, uh later on in the show. But first, I just wanted to give sisters an update on um, the the birthday party that really wasn't on Sunday. I know Liz previewed on the Sunday show that there was going to be a beachfront birthday party, right? Yes, yes. We talked about it, and Liz only had a, a small amount of time to score the perfect gift for Sheila. We tried to give her suggestions. But yes, there was great anticipation about the big birthday party. Sort of both Sheila and Liz have September birthdays. And because of busy schedules, you are going to celebrate it together at the beach. How perfect. And well, it sounded all good. That's I was planning on it. Uh, We got out there a little bit late because of some traffic issues, LA. And uh, Sheila was a no-show. Julie, she had, uh, yeah, she had terrible, we have terrible allergies this time of year here. So she had had a really bad night and some asthmatic reaction. I don't know what that is. (laughs) In Sheila's world. Self-diagnosed? It's (laughs) self-diagnosed. Okay. Okay. So, um, sorry for the birthday girl. Because Sheila would never miss a birthday party. No. No. I mean, she'd miss other people's birthday parties, no doubt, but not but hers. Not- yeah. So she, she was a no show, but, uh, my husband and I were there for Liz. We had just a really, a quick, 
quick turnaround on the beach because Liz did have to get on a plane and go to Rome like within an hour of us arriving there, honestly. So here's the thing, though, Julie. I have to say I got her the perfect birthday present. Okay. Because uh, Saturday I went out shopping for her birthday present. I had a specific thing in mind. I basically was shopping for mom. I <laughs> Liz has a new gray couch that she lets the dog sit on. So soon it will look like an old gray couch. So mm-hmm. I went to buy her a gray blanket for the for the couch. So she could just put it down on the couch and let the dog sit on the blanket. Okay? So like a protective shield. Yeah. Very, very thoughtful gift. I had suggested that to her and she had rejected it in an earlier conversation. But I was going to get that gray blanket anyway. So that's a touch of mom. <laughs> yeah, right? Yes, it, yes, indeed, Liam. <laughs> just, did you rearrange any of her furniture at her house while you were over there? or any? No. no. So, okay. uh, but then I realized that's not much of a gift. You know, that's just... <laughs> It's not really given. It seems mom. sort of like a. It seems like a punishment. It sort. does. So and so then I got her the gift, and I was thinking, you know, she's been traveling so much, and she has mm-hmm. so much travel. And you know what happens when you travel a lot, Julie? You just you whittle down your outfits to like one or two outfits. And uh, with Liz, they're generally black, and you uh, you usually involve cotton and spandex, some combination. So I thought, you know what, I'm just going to get her like a fresh black travel outfit of sort of nondescript travel separates, a good pair of like ponte pull-on pants, a tunic, and then here's the key, Julie. I went one step further, and on the sale rack right next to the checkout was one of those continuous loop scarves. Have you seen those? I love those, Leanne, and they they just they sort of attract and detract all at the same time, don't <laughs> yeah. you think? Yes, yes, it's it's exactly right. I was like, it could fool people into thinking this is a much pricier outfit than it is. You know, with traveling, sometimes you don't you feel like your scarf is a hindrance, like you need a whole nother hand for your scarf. You have so many bags and stuff, you can't do a lot of scarf management. And so I thought, you know, those loop scarves, I really come to appreciate, even though I was resistant at first. So, and there was one, I'm telling you, it was $5.99 on the sale rack. It looked, dress it up, dress it down. So I got Liz, the black pants, the black tunic, and the black scarf, along with the gray, the gray. The great thing for her couch. So when I gave it to her, she's like, this is unbelievable. Uh, I didn't really have time to wash any of my clothes. And I was going to have to wear like wet clothes on the plane. I was like, just oh, take- that sounds so nice for an overseas flight. Yeah. Wet clothes. Yeah. 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 Just take it home and put it on. And you know what, Julie? That is exactly what she did. Like 20 minutes later, she texted me a photo. I mean, she left the beach, went home. Got changed. She was in a car to the airport in less than a half an hour. And she was wearing the entire black outfit with the black scarf. <laughs> and I was like, score. Perfect gift. Exactly. Sometimes Lee, she just and you need- are a really good gift giver. So Thank uh, you, Julie. I, I, she did post a picture of this on our Facebook page. Yeah. So people can see it there. Yep. Yeah. No, she was good to go. So I would like to just, you know, call out that I did have good instincts on the fresh black travel clothes. It's a winner. It's hard to size people. So I did some sort of algorithm in the, you know, like, okay, if I'm a this, then she's a that, but this, yeah, I, I, I think I worked. I, apparently it worked because she was wearing all the clothes. So there you have it. Um, all right. And then up next, Julie, speaking of international, speaking of you and Liz and your international travels and your international mm-hmm. lifestyle, I am taking you on sisters because <laughs> I have just joined, uh, um, an organization 
called the American Women for International Understanding. Okay. Sounds pretty well, impressive, right? It does, Lane. Now, first of all, why, I, but I thought you know you had sworn off joining any other organizations. I mean, I don't know how many times on Satellite Sisters you've talked about that you are retired from all kinds of volunteer civic work. You have you have done your civic duty, and you're uh, you're not going to do this. What what prompted you to join an organization? You know, here's the thing. Uh, I am facing in a couple of years. Theoretically, my children will both be off and it will just be me and my husband. So <laughs> looking for some activities. I have also, <laughs> I have also, as you said, spent many years in the trenches, mainly with the hands-on volunteering in schools, right? Mm -hmm. Because of my work schedule, it's been very difficult to do anything sort of out in the community. Although I literally do dozens and dozens of speaking engagements to charities throughout yeah. my community as a way to give back. But I'm not really connected to those organizations. Like I show up, I do my talk, you know, money is donated, uh, but things are happening and then I leave. I don't have any connection to that. And, and I realized after like one more school meeting, I was like, I have to get out of the ghetto that is school volunteering. Like I just can't. I I have enjoyed school volunteering, but I have reached the end of my limit. So I was sort of looking around, thinking in a couple of years, and then a friend of mine who is a, a chairman of this, uh, one of these committees based out of this American Women for International Organization approached me, and she said, I, I want to talk to you about this, you know, this thing I'm a part of. I think you'd be really interested in doing it, and I think you'd be a great addition to our team. So what the American Women for International Understanding does is it's a fairly small organization, just a couple of hundred women across the country, but they really sort of dive deep into women's issues all over the globe. And they do it through uh, sponsored trips, through programs, through speakers. Um, and that's, and they, they encourage people to come to monthly events in various cities. And so they try to stay connected to women's issues all over the world. And that's something I'm interested in. Okay, Leanne, I like the sound of it. I okay, think so but this gets better. But this committee that I'm on is the International Women of Courage Committee, okay? Oh. These oh. are the awards given by the State Department. So the oh, state, okay. I see, right? You're interested now, right? So okay. the State Department every year uh, for the last eight years has identified um, international women of courage, usually like eight to 10 women from countries all across the globe, women doing extraordinary things in their home country, you know, either with maternal health or with trying to fight corruption or poverty or, you know, putting in place laws to fight acid attacks, like really like heart-wrenching issues like that, like really courageous issues in places like Pakistan or Guatemala or the Ukraine. And so mm -hmm. the State Department identifies these women. They're secretly flown to Washington because it's a usually a, a security risk for them mm -hmm. around but not on International Women's Day. And okay. then this organization that I'm part of, the State Department, they have a big ceremony there. You know, I think Laura Bush was the first presenter. Michelle Obama presented the awards last year. And then this organization that I'm part of gives them a dinner that night and a, and a check, basically. It gives them money and a grant to continue their work in their home country. 
All right. So, so, so you're fundraising toward raising money for these um, various women. For yeah. these various women and then to also continue the programs throughout the year in the United States. So to sponsor like students going abroad and things like that. So uh, State Department, Joel, I'm in. As soon as she said State Department, I was like, State Department, this raises me up to Julie and Liz's level. Yes, you'll be going to embassy parties in no time, Leanne. <laughs> There's an embassy party associated with this. So, you know, the only kind of unusual thing is they don't really release the date or anything until about three weeks before the event. So if you're on the committee planning the event, as I am, it's very hard when you don't know the actual date because of secu- it's around International Women's around Day. Around International so Women's March. Day. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So that's, so that I said, sure, sign me up for that. Now I did say, listen, I'm going to try it for a year and see if I can fulfill the commitment. I don't, you know, I'm not signing up for a 10 year term and they were fine with that. And then they handed me, they're like, well, what could you help us with? And I said, well, probably your social media and your media and some of your press releases and things like that, because it's actually a very low key event. Uh, mm-hmm. So they don't really, they're not looking to generate huge amounts of press, but they are looking to get the word out about these incredible international women of courage. Uh, that the State Department flies in. So, but they do everything sort of under the radar. So women don't do a big press uh, no. press conference or anything like that. No. Because, because they're at risk if they receive too much publicity, it might make their, you know, their job that they're doing in their home country more difficult. Yes. That yeah, okay. that's exactly it. So you kind of have to execute the event in a way that's meaningful, but it's not meant to be a big splashy event. But I did take on their social media. So I just, I'm going to put links. If you okay. want to follow along on Twitter or you follow our Facebook page or interested in joining their chapters in various cities, no chapter in Dallas, Julie, but a chapter in the New York area, uh, three chapters in California, uh, a chapter in Washington, D.C. So if you're interested in joining um, the American Women for International Understanding, I'll put a link at our Facebook page and also at our website. But yesterday, this all this week, I've been working on our Twitter. So it's a whole different set of people I'm following than on Saturday. <laughs> it's just, uh, it's just, that, is like, it a good thing or a bad thing? It's just a fun thing. It's exactly kind of what I wanted. I wanted something that was very different than what I had been doing, sort of raise my level of understanding, continuing education, but I'm following the president of Kosovo. So for instance, now and uh, Liechtenstein, I got them on the Twitter account. It's just Ooh, all man, kinds there's of no stopping you now. You're going to be taking over the international news roundup in no time. <laughs> no, it's going to Washington for this uh, yeah. party. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's the good thing. So you get to go to the State Department um, awards, and then uh, which are handled by the State Department, and then in the evening there's this evening event. So um, where you where all of the women are introduced and and given their grants and things like that. So and I guess that you can imagine it's kind of emotional. They all have emotional stories to tell. And then like one woman um, uh, here is in the United States is also honored. So last year it was. Um, a woman who's like the first UN ambassador for, um, you know, female global affairs, things like that. Like it's, it's a good heavy hitting crowd. It's enjoyable for me. So I'm looking forward to that. American women of, for international understanding, it's the international women of courage events. 
I'll just put it out there. If anyone is looking uh, to be a corporate sponsor, I am happy to um, happy to to send you information on that. If this is you have a DC based company or a company that is interested in supporting this, it's you know really kind of modest corporate sponsorships for this event, um, but it will get you into the event and possibly get you into the State Department. All so right, you, yeah, all sounds very inspiring, and uh, I look forward to reading about more uh, about some of these women. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm excited. I thought that's that's what I said. I go, you know, at the very least, I can sort of share their stories with our audience because I know our audience has always been really interested in that. Julie, you've been doing that for many years. Liz mm-hmm. has been doing that for years. We've had Nobel Prize winners. You know, we've had Madeleine Albright on the show. We've had some heavy hitters on the mm-hmm. show. So, mm-hmm. uh, so I'm happy to tell their stories. So there you go. All right, Leon. So, well, then it's very easy for me to ask you, what do you think about the events in Hong Kong? You know, where did that come from? All I can say is, like, I am trusting um, my Facebook friends who live in Hong Kong. We have a couple of Satellite Sister listeners who live there. A good friend of mine from college has lived in Hong Kong for 25 years. They seem to be very pro. They put the yellow ribbons on their Facebook status, and they seem to be uh, very pro this Occupy movement. So I think it's yeah, kind of interesting really, and exciting um, to see. very amazing to watch that over 100,000 protesters over the weekend have just continually protested because they're interested in a more genuine democracy um, for the election of Hong Kong leadership. I mean, Beijing is saying that all candidates have to be vetted for party loyalty and things like that. And these protesters, which are, well, you know, they're students and activists and others, um, you know, they're just saying, "Uh uh-uh, you know, this, you know, part of the deal of the two Chinas was that, you know, that Hong Kong would always be able to have freely democratic elections and that somehow that, you know, this is not happening if Beijing is really selecting all the candidates or if all the candidates have to be vetted by Beijing ahead of time. So, you know, today it's there was a sort of a holiday, but they're anticipating um, bigger crowds and demonstrations tomorrow. They're calling it umbrella power, Leon, um, because um, in order to protect against the tear gas and the prepper spray, have you seen all the umbrellas yeah, in the photographs? Yeah, that's yeah, a that powerful they're... symbol, too. Yes. A really yes. interesting symbol, I think. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just very interesting to watch and it will be very interesting to watch uh, what China's, um, you know, response is going to be in terms of sort of gaining control or or how will they deal with this? Will they will they secede, you know, to the um, to the demands of the protesters? Um, Because I think, you know, I think one thing that we've seen all over the world now are these, you know, these protest movements really do, you know, can change things. And so, you know, I'm sure for the demonstrators, they really feel like this is their moment. They have some momentum and um, it's going to be very interesting to watch. Yeah. No, I know. I'm looking for, yeah. I mean, looking forward to it's the wrong word, but I, it sort of seemed to spring up out of nowhere and take hold very quickly. So you feel like they must be onto something, you know, when that happens. You know, so um, another story coming out of um, Asia that this is just a bit, but I I wanted to mention it to you because you are one of the three satellite sisters that lives in the seismically active 
section of California. And I was, this has to do with that volcano in Japan. Yeah. What was that? I mean, this is the thing, Lee, and this is, um, I was talking to a geologist I know, (laughs) my husband, um, and he was saying one of the interesting things that he was reading about this is that there was no warning. That's what freaked me out. What did did your husband say about that? Well, he said this is, you know, he said, first of all, Japan is, you know, is really monitored very closely for seismic activity because it is, because it's an area uh, very active both with earthquakes and with volcanoes. But to have a volcano just blow like that, you know, without any kind of bulging, usually there's noise, there's rumbling, but they had no time for that, Leon. It just exploded. Um, I'm only laughing because it is. It's like usually in cartoons you hear rumbling and there's smoke. Yes. There was nothing. And that's very... That's very typical. You, when you th- even when you think about Mount St. Helens, there was, you know, it started to spew ash before it actually blew. But in this case, there, this was a popular climbing place. They had no time to evacuate climbers that were going up the mountain because they had no warning. Even though they have all this seismic monitoring going on in Japan, it still blew. And so it made me think of you sisters out there on that shaky piece of land, California, that you're on, okay? You will have no warning. I just want to make sure that all of your emergency kits are up to date because who knows? It may blow, okay? I have a lot of Nutrigrain bars. I can tell you that. (laughs) Well, well stocked in Nutrigrain bars, my emergency kit. Yeah, I did. that was okay. there was some incredible video of that. Just whoa, blown. Yeah, incredible. Yeah, it just it just blew without you know because usually and if you've seen many people have seen you know an older volcano there is some dome there is the bulge comes out up before the, you know it actually blows. There was none of that. Just just blew its top <laughs> off, Leanne. Okay, okay Joel. Okay, and my third bit. Uh, both on Sunday and last night, um, I watched a little NFL football. Yeah. And I have to tell you, Leanne, I am just not into the NFL this year. Okay. Every, I tried Sunday, you know, my saints were playing against Dallas. It was a big game. It was here in Dallas. Uh, last night it was kind of, you know, should have been an interesting game. Patriots, Kansas city. I'm just not into it because every time I look at that football game, football game, I think about that videotape and about how that guy just walloped, you know, that woman and about the whole response. And it has, I am surprised. I don't know if you feel that way or if others feel that way, that it's not, I, I just am not, it's not like I can sit down and enjoy it the same way I could before. I'm just not that into it. You know, I have to agree. It started for me with all the concussion stories about a year ago. We weren't, we're not big NFL fans here anyway, but I would turn on the NFL and just watch it like around the house, you know, as background noise. And yeah, I can admire that they're great athletes, but I definitely was falling out of love with it. And I have to say, Julie, I turned on the Saints game. I just couldn't, I couldn't rally. And I found there was an interesting story in the LA paper today about like once again, trying to attract an NFL team here 
here. There's a group of people trying to build a big stadium downtown. They were supposed to either have a team, you know, confirmed by now or else the the city was going to take back the lease on the land. And they're asking for a six months extension. And I don't see I don't see a lot of public rallying support for the NFL team here. I definitely think the luster is off the NFL. You just feel. I don't you just feel like there's so much going on behind the scenes. It's really a turnoff. I totally agree. Couldn't agree yeah, more. Yeah, I, I mean, I would, you know, I'd like to hear from other satellite sisters if they feel differently about it, um, you know, or or not. They still love their team and, you know, it's they've moved on or, or not. I mean, but it's really, I'm surprised. It really has made a big difference for me. So, you know, I don't think I'm just also, not that into it. Lane. Yeah, I, I don't think that big hit in the Michigan game helped. Did you see the footage of that? The quarterback that was creamed in the Michigan game and yeah. could barely stand yeah. up. And then the coach didn't take him yeah. out. And then the coach, well, again, just shows like they just they're not getting it in football. Like, well, he didn't indicate that he wanted to come out. No, of course not. He's just been concussed, you know. There's no professional athlete ever that said, I like to come out now. I, I don't know. Just there's a lot of it's just fairly tone deaf for me. Almost everything about the NFL that I read or hear. Just so. All right. Yeah, I would be interested. Uh, so when we post, put your comments on the Facebook page or uh, at SatelliteSisters.com when we post the show information, because I know we have a lot of football fans in the audience. So I would be interested to hear yes, if, if yes, you feel yes. like, you know, you're enjoying it less now or have it's like less patience for the game is what I would say, like it, more impatient watching it. All right. Good one, Joel. Okay. Good tidbits. <laughs> Okay. Okay. All right. That's it. That's it. We're moving on to what has been, which is really, you know, this is a local issue here in Dallas, but I think it has absolute national um, implications. And I know it's been getting some national attention, which is the Highland Park School District, which is a school district very close to, to where I live. They um, they had a school meeting uh, earlier this year where they had over 100 parents and grandparents and alums show up, and they were complaining about the reading list, um, particularly for the ninth and 10th grade, and that they felt that all the parents felt that many of the books were inappropriate because of the content of the books, that they included um, sexual content, they included themes of rape, of abortion, of prostitution. The, um, and it was such an outcry that the superintendent of the schools, um, these were books that were assigned, this was part of the curriculum, mm -hmm. and the superintendent suspended the, the 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 requirement that you had to read the following books and uh, you know some of these are you know ones that I'm sure you know the working poor invisible in america sid arthur absolutely true diary of a part-time indian uh an abundance of catherines the glass castle the song of solomon and the art of racing in the rain that these were assignments for 10th grade english or 9th grade english and because there was so much parent outcry, um, they these books had been, you know, they, they were no longer required. So it's been like this giant issue here, Lena, as you can imagine, because 
um, you know, people feel very strongly about, you know, about wanting to get rid of these books. But there's an equally, um, um, you know, vocal group of people that do not want these books banned from school and, mm-hmm. and feel like this is, you know, they don't want a minority making a decision for the majority of the students or or they don't want, you know, they feel like, you know, that this is that you're, you know, you're really not shielding your children from sexual content or themes of, you know, rape and abortion by, by, you know, by banning these books. Right. So, but I, I mean, my question to you, cause you have high school students. I mean, does this, I mean, how closely do you think parents, you know, watch what your students are reading, you know, in the classroom, ninth, 10th, junior, junior, senior, you, you know, do you, with parents that you know at uh, your son's school, do they, you know, is this a topic of conversation? It was a, it has been a topic of conversation at the middle school level. I remember when we were in middle school, there was a huge outcry about To Kill a Mockingbird, one of the, you know, very common banned books. Uh, several of the parents thought that it was inappropriate because the book had the N-word in it. And they felt very strongly that that was inappropriate. And it led, it did not lead to the book being banned, but it led to a lot of letters home about the value of studying To Kill a Mockingbird. And as you said, Julie, you usually is a vocal minority uh, speaking instead of the vast majority. Here's the thing. I thought that was a pretty sophisticated reading list for a 10th grade. Uh, I am not a believer in banning books at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there are age-appropriate books. There are also books that are appropriate for the level reader of your child, you know, but I don't, I don't think you're protecting them from anything by banning books, especially in the age of the internet. And like shows on ABC Family where the main characters are 16 and sleeping with their English teacher, as in Pretty Little Liars. Like, let's ban that content. Like, I don't, I don't understand sometimes what parents get all riled up about. I, I don't think you can protect your children from these issues, from these themes. These are all excellent books that they were on the list. I mean, Toni Morrison's Song of Solomon. Boy, if you have a 10th grader that can understand that book, you have a very bright t- 10th grader, you know, but that book was cited as the reason why she won the Nobel Prize for Literature, you know, the same, so, I, you know, The Song of Solomon is a well-respected book, you know, The Glass Castle is a book that we talked to the writer on Satellite Sisters, you know, the fact that that's in the school curriculum is encouraging to me, that they're not yeah. just relying on 50-year-old books, you know, I think that's the cop-out position a lot of uh, a lot of schools take not cop out, but they they don't incorporate contemporary work into their curriculums because it's quote controversial. But I don't know. I just am no. not a believer in banning books. I don't think you're protecting your kids from anything. And I think occasionally parents object, and you know, then they should not read that book. But saying no one should read that book—that's my problem. Right. I mean, it, you know, it gets a little more complicated here because Jeanette Walls, who wrote. Um, the uh, the Glass Castle. She was selected to be the keynote speaker at the literary festival that they were having in Highland Park. Yeah, so she is playing. So they she uh, she has commented on this, and she said she was heartbroken about the book suspension. I mean, they're calling it a book suspension, not banning. Uh, she because she said yes, her book does have a lot of el- ugly elements to it. But it is about hope and resilience. Right. And, she, and it's you know, a true story. It's a memoir. It's a true, yes, it's a true story. <laughs> so, 
So, you know, just late late on Sunday night, we we did have some breaking news on this story and the superintendent has reversed his position. Um he said that um he initially that in order to try to de-escalate, you know, the you know, the sentiment in the room, there were a hundred people that were really upset about these books and about their children reading these books. Um you know, he thought it was the appropriate thing to sort of suspend it. Um, but, you know, in fact, it has sort of added fuel to the fire. And so he has. Now- well, he did it during Bands Book Week, too. I mean, last week was like a celebration of National Band Book Week. So Twitter was a fire with uh, with like comments like what, who, what, how did this happen? Can't believe this is still happening kind of thing. So yeah. it was a double whammy for for the superintendent, apparently. Yes. And I mean, they do have a process at the school from what I've read in the paper, you know, in terms of a committee with teachers and students and parents that review and select the books that are chosen. So it wasn't this wasn't a random thing at all. But and I and I'm sure they're they're going to try to work through how the once suspended books will be reincorporated and those that, you know, I, I don't I don't know whether others will be able to opt out of it. But I agree with you, Leon. I think that for, you know, pretty much you know, for this community, I would suspect that probably about 95 to 99 percent of the kids over there at that high school have phones. And if they have phones, <laughs> they have access right. to to far more. So if their parents or grandparents. Far more, far, like much poorly conceived with no context, no critical discussion. Right. I mean, the point of literature is to challenge. It's to reflect and to challenge and to make you think. And, you know, it is to jar you out of complacency about the way you think about life. So, I mean, that's the point of high school literature, you know. So I and all those books sort of do challenge the status quo or make you think about things differently. And I thought it was a very ambitious reading list to me. Yes, it looks yes, like it a great list. It, it's a very rigorous yeah. uh, school district uh, that, you know, the kids, you know, and and I don't want people to say, oh, well, that's just Texas. That's not going to happen, you know, in uh, in my state. Well, no, this could that I happens mean, everywhere. Yeah, it happens everywhere. You know, and it, um, so it. It does, you know, it is it is interesting as a community to sort of watch this and to see how they respond and to see, you know, how they go forward with this. But but there clearly was a counterweight to this first group of organized and very vocal um, parents that were objected to the books. Um, there was a very strong counterweight that the superintendent had to deal with. So. I don't know, but they all these kids have a phone, so you're not shielding right. from anything. So, yeah, um, yeah, and uh, I again, that may sound like a cop out position, but it's not. I, you know, I mean, they're seeing all these kinds of images and hearing about things in popular culture. There are songs that reflect sort of rape and beating and issues of sexuality, at least in a classroom with like well-conceived prose and well-conceived discussions. You have a chance to make sense of it. Yeah. Okay. All right, Leanne. Well, on to the other big news coming out of academia. Very interesting story out of a small liberal arts college in um, in uh, in uh, Maryland, uh, Goucher College. 
that they have changed their admissions policy. A lot of schools are doing this. They're looking on whether they're going to keep the standardized tests, not, not use them. But what Goucher has decided to do is they're going to let applicants submit two pieces of work. One has to be a graded high school writing assignment that they didn't grade, but somebody else graded. <laughs> and the other thing that um, they can now submit is a two-minute video that they really want to provide students with another avenue to, uh, for them to express themselves. Um, and I had a couple. I want to hear your reaction to this because uh, you have been applying with your son to college for, it seems like, a decade. Forever. Now. Quite a for, <laughs> <laughs> One son over many years. Yes. Many, many colleges. Uh, so uh, even though you haven't worked in college admissions, I feel like you're well qualified to. What do you think of this, of like having to submit a video? Uh, is Do you see that as a positive thing or do you find this onerous or, you know, do you think it would put your kid at a disadvantage uh, and other kids at a more of an advantage? What you do you know, think? To do a good video. Uh, a well-conceived video. I think the point of the video is to describe like why you wanted to go to school there and why you thought you were a good fit. I mean, that's essentially writing an essay. You happen to be delivering it on video, but the idea that it's kind of easier or less, uh, you know, less creative or, you know, it would uh, reflect sort of less academic talent. I think that's been some of the criticism. I reject that. I have to say, I mean, my son Brooks at one point last year, I, he applied to a film school and it required a two minute video about why he should go to that school, what it was that made him sort of unique as an applicant. And that video took six weeks to make. Like Mm -hmm. that wasn't an easily done you know, project. He were, first he had to work on the script, which was essentially writing an essay, and then he had to put together the visuals, and then he had to go shoot it and edit it and make sure it was only two minutes. So it was a lengthy project, not as easy and sort of offhanded as critics are making it sound. So I think it's a perfectly legitimate, you know, form of expressing yourself. Some kids are, you know, great public speakers. They have a lot of poise on camera. You know, they they're able to, you know. They're able to express themselves uh, in a way orally that maybe they can't do on paper. I I think it's completely legitimate. I think it was, though, in place of transcripts, right? Julie? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. yes. Yeah. I mean, I I think they didn't even – so that I can see – Huh. Well, boy, the no transcripts, but, uh, you know, the video itself, that is not an easy task to pull off. That's what I would say. I think that one comment that I heard that why students would want to do this is because it, it would provide a more genuine uh, reflection of who they are. Yeah. And um, having been at admission on the other side, having done admissions, um, I, you know, there are two parts of it that I like. One is I like the graded high school writing assignment because, you know, when you read college um, essays, you know, you really don't know who wrote these. I mean, and so, you know, and sometimes, you know, it's quite obvious that a 17 year old did not write the essay you're reading. I mean, it just has the voice of a 45 year old, you know, you can, you can kind of tell that. So I like the idea that 
you know, that it would, it might provide for more a genuine expression of what the student is really interested in or what he really likes. And the graded uh, writing assignment would provide um, some, some level of the quality of, you know, his or her, her writing skills. But on the other side, Leon, I think the thing that, you know, if you really are trying to be fair in admissions and to, you know, to really compare candidates equally, you know, using the same criteria, you know, that that it is susceptible to bias, that you might you might like someone that's more attractive in a video or, you know, that, you know, you know, it could be there could be, you know, ethnicity issues. There could be language issues. There could be just, you know, overall attractiveness of the candidate, you know, is, you know, or, you know, it might be a weight thing. Are they thin? Are they fat? You know, all of these things could, you know, play into the impression that you give, you know, you give on a video and that could really discriminate for some students, um, you know. Oh. Well, that's interesting. Cases. When my son yeah. did my son did the film school application, uh, one of the requirements was you may not appear in the video. Right. So it that, eliminated that, I, that kind of bias that you could voice the video, you could do the voiceover, but there could be no images of you in the video. And maybe they have this requirement. I yeah. don't know. But it's yeah. in many cases, you know, a lot of, you know, admissions operations that I've run, we always, you know, we never ask for any kind of photograph for the same reason that, you know, you just, you form an impression that that may not be accurate um, based on, you know, based on a visual image. And so um, I think it's an interesting thing. Um, you know, I I, um, I read the president of Goucher College uh is a former jazz musician. That's oh. uh, that's his background. That's his background, and he's gonna. He said he's gonna try this, and if it works, great. And if it doesn't work, he'll try something else. That's what <laughs> that was his. That was his attitude towards it. Uh, okay, good for him. All right. Uh, can I just say on one college note, my son is working so hard at college. I, it is just unbelievable. It's exactly what they told us would happen. A parent orientation, like he is working fourteen, sixteen hours a day. To get those projects well, that's in. Good, yeah. I never good. see him. I thought living at home was going to be a problem. It's not a problem. Like he left the house yesterday morning at 9 a.m. He arrived home at 1 a.m. You know, he had been working, shooting. He didn't even have any classes yesterday. It was all, you know, shooting, processing, shooting some more, mounting. He's very busy at art school. So... It's He's perfect up for him. Off the couch, Leon. You have achieved success. <laughs> it's perperfect for him. You know, he he's learning to develop photos. Uh, that's their, you know, first classes. They're shooting uh -huh. real film. And he said, I just did it a lot faster than other people. And I said, well, you know, you were actually pretty good in chemistry. So I think it's a, he was good in lab sciences. There you have it. This is an interesting, interesting outcome, I thought. Okay. All right, Julie, before we get to Sister Sassnatch here, uh, just one small note. A new plastic surgery I was made aware of yesterday. I think you and I will not be candidates for this. Um, and this is one of those things, like, that is so particular to being super duper duper skinny it's like trying to achieve the thigh gap have you heard of thigh gap yes Linda, okay so that yeah. is when you your thighs are together your legs are so scrawny and skinny that there's actually a gap between uh your left thigh and your right thigh well this is on that level it's called the banana roll are you familiar with that i uh, know i'm not familiar with that well apparently uh 
at the bottom of your buttocks, there's an extra roll occasionally. That I love is how you say apparently, because <laughs> you would have no firsthand knowledge right. of this. Right. How would you know? How like there is another, like another tiny roll. And now women are coming in to have the quote banana roll removed from their buttocks. And I don't know, Julie, when I sort of peer around the corner, it all looks like buttocks to me. I can't, can't distinguish my butt from my banana roll. It's all, it's all one big blob. So there you go. So I want you to go check after the show, Julie, okay, see right. what your banana roll status is. Okay, I will. I'll report back next week on my banana roll. Okay. Never knew I had that. I don't think I do. Okay. Yeah. So, how would I, maybe you have to be so skinny that you're, you have essentially no butt except this little blob at the bottom called him. I don't know. Yeah, I, I really need to, this, it, this requires a visual. Yeah. I, I am not, I am not imagining no. what the banana roll is. Is it <laughs> what comes out from your panty line? Kind is of. Yeah. That's hang, pretty much it. Yeah. Hangs what hangs down yes. out of your. Yeah. Uh, okay. All yeah. right. It's the shape of a banana roll. All right. <laughs> people, okay. people need to get more involved in, well, they should all join American Women for International Understanding. Yes, have... And this show was so darn highbrow. We were like, <laughs> we were just, we were just skimming along there. But you took us down with the banana roll. Okay. okay. I, I think if you have that much time and money to worry about that, you should join the American Women for International Understanding. And exactly. buy, a, and buy exactly. a ticket to our gala. Uh, okay. It's not a gala, by the way. It's just an event. Um all right. Uh, coming up, we have Sister Sassnatch. It was the mid-season finale for Outlander. But first, just remember, you can always find us at SatelliteSisters.com. Uh, we put information, links about the show there. Thanks to everybody who's been sharing the sisters lately. Uh, it's really made a difference. If you feel compelled to write a review at Stitcher or at iTunes, please do. It's, it's always helpful for us. Uh, thanks to Audible for supporting Satellite Sisters. And um, remember that our Twitter is at Sat Sisters at Sat Sisters, and our, we have an open Facebook group. It does require you to sort of apply for membership, and then we, you know, and unless you're selling Ray-Ban sunglasses, then we will we will approve you. What is right. that? We, we, I think we, there's we a virus now. People are clicking on, and then the next thing you know, you're selling Ray-Ban sunglasses at Facebook. Is that true? <laughs> I don't know. I think that might be it. Okay. All right. All right. I get oh, the Scottish music is here, so it's time for Sister Sassnatch. All right, Julie, in this episode, uh, we see, I, I would call it the honeymoon is over, is what I is what I call uh-huh. this episode. What, okay, what did well, you first. think this week? Poor Claire and Jamie, like, the romance of the wedding is now done. Like, more bad things happened to them in a week than I could believe. Right, Leanne. I mean, well, for, yes, first of all, I don't think I've commented on it. We talk about the music. I just love that theme music. Yeah. Doesn't it, it, it does. It, it allows the time travel to happen. You know, I, I still get hung up on the time travel. Yeah. But that sing me this song, it's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. So, yes, I was, um, I read, you know, I've, I've been scouting online. You know, I know you and I watched the wedding episode uh, multiple, multiple times. times. I, I, one woman posted she watched it 21 times. Now, <laughs> Now that seems that seems excessive, okay? That seems 
that seems uh, maybe not right. Okay, but um, you do. We it did has been called on. like a feminist, like like the like the one of the most important hours of feminist TV ever, by yes. several you know well-known television critics who write for things like Salon.com and stuff like that. Just because Claire was in charge that of that wedding night operation, Claire was in charge. So, twenty-one times. Okie doke. <laughs> seems seems exciting. but I have to say, Lena, I have been wrestling all week with my own moral compass because you know I thoroughly enjoyed the wedding episode, and I was so looking forward to this week to just see them live happily ever after. You know, I mean, I just I just like that. So, but then I kept saying, why am I so happy about this? The consummation of this relationship because you know I'm very pro marriage and I'm very anti adultery. I feel affairs are for dopes. Um, and, but is Claire really having an affair? This is the part that I don't know, because of course she's having an affair in a, a different century. Um, and so if she was having the affair, really, is she a bigamist? Isn't she? Because she is, she, she has a two husbands or does the time travel totally absolve her from the situation? Because she technically, technically has not met the kilt boy. She met the kilt boy way before <laughs> Way before she meets Frank in 1943 or whatever, you know, what do you think? This is right. This is sort of the question that the book asks the Outlander book series and this, what is she doing? And, you know, I think she's doing what she has to do to survive in Scotland. I mean, she's thriving. She got really, really lucky. Yes, she was (laughs) totally scored. Uh, But basically you're a woman in Scotland in 1745, regardless of how you get there, you need a man to survive. You know, being a woman alone is not going to work in any country, in any place in that certain time period. So I think she's just doing what she has to do to survive. So I don't overthink the bigamist part, but I have to tell you one thing that the TV show is doing much differently than the book is the, the book is written from Claire's point of view. Mm-hmm. So you don't get a lot of Frank in the book, yeah. The, the first which book, is like fine, which you, would be fine with me, like, right? You say goodbye to Frank, like she goes through the stones. That's the end of that. But this is the plot difference in the television show that I think is pretty successful, actually. Like, well, what the heck is Frank doing at home? And you'll see if the show continues and the series goes on that the dual storylines become uh, pretty prominent in later books. Okay. Just just a warning. So it's not a question that goes away. That so you That's have to make you have it. to make That's peace with news. it. Okay. Yeah. Well, I can't. I, I can't. I was. I was. I was very uneasy to see Frank back in this episode. Well, so. I think it's just a question of raise your hand if you would have liked to have been married to Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Do you yeah. think it's as simple as that? Like, I think it is. I think it, like most people, women sitting at home watching it are thinking, I wish I could walk through the stones just for a couple of months. Just <laughs> so. <laughs> there you have it. Okay. okay. So, yes, uh, there were there was more problems for the um, for this star faded couple. Leon. What I mean, they just it just it was it's not smooth at all. I mean, immediately people are starting to try to kill them. Right. All it's a rough them. life. Well, first of all, like they have the fantastic wedding night, but then they have to hit the road again with I that know. motley crew, of, you know, Rupert and Murdaugh and everything making the jokes. And there's it's unrelenting for poor Claire. She's the only woman with 12 dirty, smelly scotsman and jamie like on 
on the road. But Jamie is caressing her face the whole I... time and just kissing her. So that seems like that was going well, Liam. Right? Yeah. But not not if you're uh, not if you're Dougal. He did not seem to be enjoying the PDA of Jamie and uh, <laughs> no, and Claire. No, but immediately they're like set upon by thieves, I know. and then it's in the middle of a romantic tryst. Claire is raped, which is serious, by British deserters, and then she's captured. And oh, then but she they... had to kill someone too, Liam. Yes. Of course, she had that whole knife lesson. Yeah. So I mean, of course, you know, if you're going to show Claire how to how to use the knife, she's going to use the knife, and she did. Thank goodness. She an- ends up back in the hands of Blackjack Randall, where things are a disaster, and then in the middle of it. We have that prolonged scene where she's running. She's running towards the rocks, the stones. Frank, I love that I scene. I was like, I, I, I did. It was beautiful. But I was like, why, Claire? Why are you running to that guy in the overcoat, in the raincoat, when you can have the guy in the kilt? Trip or fall down. I was, I was so relieved. Redcoats captured her. When she got to the stones. <laughs> You're not digging Frank. Because a lot of people have warmed, you know, the online community, a lot of people have warmed to Frank in the TV show because you're seeing more of him. But you can't, you're not, you're not in that camp. No, I, no. Why, why would you be in that camp? Why well, you know, he appears to have actually loved her, you know? I know he does love her. I know he feels badly. I, I'm sorry about that. Yeah. But, but, <laughs> but he has no kilt for him. Okay, maybe if it was like even Steven, if we put him in a kilt, you know, we have sort of a kilt off, then then I think we yeah. can make a fair decision about which way Claire should go, whether she should stay, you know, stay where she is or go back to the future. So uh, she's what, so clever. It was hard to believe she fell for that trap about the Duchess of Grantham or whatever, <laughs> whatever that Duchess was. You know, she's had two scenes with that blackjack guy, yeah. you know, and in both scenes, it appears at the beginning of the, the scene, Claire has the upper hand, yeah. you know, that she is, she's really putting this guy down. She really catches, catches him off base. And, you know, and then, ugh, you know, in one, you know, she got, she gets decked in the first scene in yeah. the previous episode and she ends up in ropes in this scene, Leon. So yeah. that was, that was really unfortunate. Yeah. So, and I was, I have to say, I was like shocked and disappointed to see that it doesn't come back till April 4th, April, April 4th, 4th. <laughs> April 4th. I mean, that, that's, uh, it's outlandish is what it is, Leon. <laughs> I mean, that we're really into it now, okay? You know, I think for some of us who have not read the book and who had grave um, grave, grave reservations about anything with time travel, now you've gotten me into it and we have to wait to April 4th. I, I just, uh, I think that's, why? Why does it take so long? You know, it's, as you can see, it's a very expensive show to produce. So that's, and it's very, um, you know, time consuming. So they could only commit the finances. Remember, Stars is a pay channel. So they could only commit the finances for the first eight episodes. They had to see if it was going to go and how it was going to be received before they could commit to a, quote, full season. So, uh, so the good news is we know it's coming back the fourth, and then they've committed to a season after that. So that's good. We know we'll get like at least two full, you know, a season and a half out of this. So oh, that's, that's yeah. So we're they're committed to that, but they had to see how it would go because it's too expensive to produce sixteen episodes if it's not a hit. But it's a hit. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's a hit. It's a hit. And I did want to just talk about the one small scene with Frank. I love the scene. Where is it? Is it the minister's wife or is it just her? The 
housekeeper. The housekeeper. Okay, the housekeeper. When she is trying to explain time travel <laughs> yes. to Frank. Oh, I love that scene. Oh, yeah. The talking stones. Yeah, the stones talk. Oh, yeah. He's, and Frank is just so totally not buying that. But that uh, that's, you know, I, I, again, because it's at the heart of what this whole story is about, the, um, the time travel. It's but, ludicrous. And it's yet, ludicrous. And yet. I think that the face of Frank was like the face of every husband in America. If you tried to explain like, no, this is a story. She goes through the stones. That That's their face, you know? Yeah. But it was, there was some good uh, foreshadowing, Julie, because that the little boy, okay, mm -hmm. is a yes. factor in the second book. Oh, okay. We're time okay. traveling all over the place in Dragonfly and Amber. And remember when sort of the, the guy with no tongue handed her that beautiful Dragonfly and Amber? That's, yes, that's yes. the name of the second book, Dragonfly and Amber. Okay. So you're okay. gonna, you're just, you just believe me. If you think you're time traveling now, it's gonna come at you a lot more. <laughs> a lot more. All right, better buckle up. So the question now is, what to do between now and April fourth? I mean, I don't know how. Would you recommend for people like myself who have not read the book, should we go ahead and read the book during this hiatus, or should we just continue to watch the wedding episode? Uh, <laughs> Oh, well, you know, people are going to do that regardless. So. Yes. Barrick yes. <laughs> started to delete it the other day. I was like, don't, don't delete it. Don't, don't, just, don't touch don't the Outlander category. away from my DVR. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I have recently reread the book. It has not, because the first time I read it was 23 years ago. It has not diminished my enjoyment of the television show at all. So I think if you're curious Go for it. I've heard it's a good audio book. The people at Satellite Sisters, the Facebook page have said. So if that's kind of your thing, yeah, go for it. But um, Or, you know, or just wait it out. It's kind of the nature of TV these days. The excitement is going to really build. You can rewatch the season. But, uh, yeah, I don't, you know, it's, uh, it's a rough existence they have there in Scotland. That's yes, what I would say. Yes, it's not yes. easy. It is not easy being Scottish. <laughs> so. <laughs> all right julie uh that is it for us today we're the satellite sisters uh don't forget call your satellite sister 